If you and I were going to compare our Christmas experiences as adults, they would be very different. Some of us travel for Christmas. Who here is traveling for Christmas? By a show of hands? Okay. All right. All right. And uh, some of us will stay put in Los Angeles. How many of you are staying put? That's right. And whoever stays put in L.A., you'll experience uh, empty roads. There's going to be no traffic. And you'll think, man, if more people would just give up on their dreams, this will be like, this will, the roads will be like all the time. You know, like all these dreamers in here need to go back to their hometown and just stay there. Uh, it'll be, your commute times will be significantly shorter. Uh, you know, some of you for Christmas are going to buy way too many gifts and you're going to go into debt uh, and you're going to carry a balance on your credit card till June 2019. Some of you uh, have Christmas birthdays in and around Christmas. Who is that? Who is here? Yes. Yes. I pity the fool. I pity you. I pity you in the back. I see you. Don't. And just, so you, why? Why? Because you go, you, if you have a Christmas around, um, you know, if you have a birthday around Christmas, you have a birthday around Christmas, Jesus gets all the birthday love. Nobody cares about you. So in case anyone knows my birthday's on the 28th. And you're like, okay, yeah, I'll make a note and maybe I'll do something for him. You're not going to do anything for me. I know it because you know, because of Jesus Christ coming to earth. <laughs> uh, and then, then, then for some of you, uh, you're going to sit around and post on social media about how you hate all the despicable commercial aspects of Christmas. So, but I, I, you know, I imagine if we were to compare our experiences as children. For those of you that grew up with Christmas, I would imagine that we would have a ton in common. And I'm talking about that agonizing wait, that that agonizing feeling as a child for Christmas to arrive. And you're counting down the days of Christmas. Now, right now, in my apartment, on our refrigerator, we have a calendar. And you take this little thing and you move it each day in December. And the closer it gets uh, to Christmas, the more our daughter is losing her mind. She's absolutely, she's going crazy. She's like, and like just last night, she looks at me all serious. She goes, daddy, is it Christmas tomorrow? And I'm like, I'm like, no, you're way off, babe. She's like, oh, and, but do you remember, do you remember that feeling of excitement where like Christmas is coming? It's just around the corner. It was almost painful for Christmas to arrive. Uh, and then, uh, you know, uh, but yeah. And so, yeah. And then when you become an adult and when you become an adult, you're like, Hey, Christmas is three weeks away. You're like, Oh no. I know it's like you're like so nervous and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's so much I have to do. I have to buy Aunt Jackie uh, a razor blade for her face or whatever you do. So (laughs) that's not a real I'm off. I'm off script. I'm sorry. (laughs) You have so much to do. But meanwhile, meanwhile, you're uh, oh, yeah. If you were a kid, you're like, this is taking forever for Christmas Day to get here. So when we were kids, yes, the wait for Christmas was so slow And the great thing is that even though it felt slow, Christmas always came. There was always the promise of certainty that Christmas morning would arrive. Now, I don't know about you, but as a kid, I always looked for my presents. Who here looked for their presents growing up? Oh, my gosh. Look, at there's a bunch of good kids. No, actually, a bunch of you are raising your hands, but you're doing this. And so you can't see it. And so I looked under my parents' bed, I looked under the closet, and I not only looked for them, but don't tell anyone, uh, and don't tell them if you, 
see them anytime soon, but I usually found them. And then to really get the confession going, I often opened them up and played with them. How many people opened their Christmas presents up when they found them? Okay, I'm going to get the less and less people. Gosh, I'm feeling... One year I found a guitar that was for me in my parents' closet. I got it out. I played with it. I tried it on with the strap in front of the mirror. And well, for a few minutes there, uh, you know, I was a rock star in front of the mirror. And then when it was Christmas morning, I would like open up the present. I'm like, oh, look, a guitar. I'm so surprised. And so anyway, uh, the interesting thing is this idea of excitement, this idea of waiting and waiting and waiting, this the idea of expectation is really the idea of hope. And hope is a really powerful thing. In fact, it's one of the most powerful things on earth. Hope stirs up excitement. It builds anticipation. It energizes the dream in our heart of what could be and what should be. And so today, we're actually starting a four-week series. Uh, It's an Advent series. And if you don't know this, Advent is derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means approach or arrival. Uh, And we've called the series The Thrill of Hope. And Christmas is all about hope. It's all about excitement. It's all about anticipation. It's always, it's about looking forward to the things that are to come, the things that are coming ahead. And, um, you know, we, uh, we actually, I, I noticed this, and my wife pointed this out this morning. The, the, the thing that we're doing here, it actually comes from uh, the famous Christmas carol, O Holy Night. And uh, the O Holy Night uh, Christmas carol says this. It says, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks is a new and glorious morn. But what I recently found is that what we're doing at Pacific City Church is so innovative that, um, that uh, Magnolia Farms is doing it themselves. They, took, they ripped us off. It's called the thr- See the thrill of, thrill of Hope. And that's Joanna Gaines. And she got hold, she got wind that we're doing, uh, <laughs> we're doing the Thrill of Hope series. And so she's like, that's a good idea. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it for my magazine. And it says here, November in Texas is its own kind of hallelujah. <laughs> so anyway, so anyway, we're, we're inspiring people around the country. Just wanted you to know that. So, um, but, <laughs> but yeah, the thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. LA is an amazing place to live, but it's not without its challenges. And if I look at our world, I see that there's people in need. There's weary people. There's people at war with each other. I see poverty. I see people without clean water. When I look around our own city, I see marriages in trouble. I see fatherlessness. I see financial crises. Yet hope is still possible. Hope is still something that can happen. Hope remains. It's something that's real. And so what I'd like to show you today and for the rest of the series is that the thrill of hope, the thing we desire the most, is most found in the birth and the life of Jesus. And so each week, we're going to be taking a look at a different part of something that uh, Jesus was going to be through the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah had these predictions, and we call them prophecies, about what Jesus would be like. And each week, we're going to discover that Jesus is the true hope that we're looking for. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take a look at Isaiah. Will you join me in prayer? God, uh, I ask that you would be with us. We thank you for uh, this day. And we ask, God, that, um, that you would fill each of us with hope. 
you would be guiding us as we listen, that you'd be speaking to us. God, there's nothing more powerful than your love and your hope. And so we ask that you would give us some of that today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, today's talk is called Wonderful Counselor. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at a few verses from Isaiah. Now, Isaiah was a prophet who lived a long time before Jesus. And he predicted Jesus' birth and what Jesus would be like. And here's what we read in Isaiah chapter 9. It says this. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. A light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as soldiers rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. Now, to set the context for Isaiah 9, you could flip a couple chapters back to Isaiah 7 if you wanted to, and you would see that there was terrible leadership in the nation of Judah. Things were going really bad. People were becoming more and more desperate, which led to greater and greater desolation and desperation and more gloom and darkness over the land. Now, if there's one thing that we discover about the God in the Bible, even if we don't know that much about God, even if we don't know that much about the Bible, it's that God is a God who rescues. Now, whenever we see someone living in darkness or a dark place, whenever God finds people living in desperation or gloom, he formulates a plan to rescue people. We see this everywhere in scripture. So God is not this distant, disconnected person somewhere up in heaven who's saying, hey, buddy, you blew it. You messed up. Sorry, you don't get a second chance. I told you what to do and you didn't do it. You've made your bed. Now you've got to sleep in it. Not with God. The God of the Bible is always at work hatching up a scheme to rescue people. And so let me be clear. God doesn't ignore the darkness. God is not like not able to see the darkness or pain in the world. He definitely sees everything. Yet again and again, he is rescuing people and helping people who are in need. And one thing you need to know about God this Christmas season, whatever desperate situation you're in, even situations of your own making, maybe you've done something that's stupid. Maybe you have done something that you shouldn't have done. Maybe you've hooked up your lives with someone, the wrong kind of person. Maybe you've gotten addicted or you've rejected the counsel from people that said, if you do this, it will end in disaster. And what do you know? It's ended in disaster. The one thing you must know about God this Christmas is that God always has his hand out to you. He wants to rescue you and he wants to bless you. It's true. No matter, no matter what you've done. God's desire is to bless your life. Always. 
He not only wants to rescue you and me, he wants to rescue people around the world who are living in darkness. God wants to rescue people and bless people around the world who are hurting, people who are broken, people who have no recourse, and people who have been taken advantage of. Now let this truth sink into the subterranean levels of your heart. God is a rescuing God, a God who is committed to doing you good. And also, did you know this? Did you know that God is into strategy? He's very strategic. Did you know that? He's constantly strategizing, constantly scheming in his infinite wisdom to constantly figure out ways to get you and me and the rest of the world to turn fully back to him so that we can be healed and we can be blessed. So how does God rescue people who are in darkness? Well, this is the hard part. God humbles us. The way of rescue is that God humbles us. Look with me in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, Isaiah said this. When we just read this, but I'll read it again. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Now, Isaiah mentions three areas that will be honored. All areas that are in and around Galilee. Now, if you don't know anything about Galilee, Galilee is the place where Jesus was raised. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was raised in Galilee. And Galilee was the most despised area in the nation that day. And even Jesus used to be shamed by people because he was from Galilee. And this is mostly because Galilee had been influenced by outsiders. And those outsiders uh, like had, had affected the Jewish culture. But Isaiah promises here that the despised area of Galilee will become the area of first honor. But what we see also in verse 1 here uh, is that there's a consistent pattern in Scripture. And this is really hard to hear. But that we must be brought low through failure. We must be, there must be humiliation, shame, and trial before we can be exalted. We need to be made weak before we can be made strong and feel God's power. We need to become poor before God can make us rich. You see, God, like I said before, God always, always, always wants to bless us. He always wants to show us grace. But he can't do that if we're prideful, if we're proud, or we're living lives independent from him. It's not possible. Now, if you're any reasonable human being in this room today, you're going to say, well, must it be this way? Must I actually be humbled and humiliated uh, must failure overcome my life for me to get close to God? Is it required that I hit rock bottom before God can do something? Do I have to be painted in the corner uh, for, in order for God to help me? Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, the answer is usually yes. Because it's often said that our spiritual lives can bear anything except prosperity. <laughs> Prosperity affects us negatively because when we're doing great and life is humming along and there's no problems and we're fat and happy and everything is smooth sailing, we usually become independent and self-sufficient. And then, but it's when we fall on our faces and when we see that we're unable to manage a crisis or a problem in our lives, when we face something that's too big for us to handle on our own, that's when we look beyond ourselves to God. And the truth is, you know, I've been in ministry of some kind for over 15 years. Uh, the overwhelming majority of us, uh, uh, and I, I've seen this, the overwhelming uh, uh, amount of people who have come to faith, who have come to faith in Christ, or have come back to faith in Christ, have done so during a crisis. 
And the overwhelming majority of people who draw close to Christ because of a crisis, because of a health problem, because of a loved one who gets a, a sick or a cancer or a heart problem or a child who has a life-threatening illness or problems getting pregnant or someone who has an unwanted pregnancy, a separation, a divorce, some kind of broken engagement or a legal problem, addiction out of our control, all these things, this feeling of emptiness and dissatisfaction, it often happens. The crisis often facilitates a connection to God. And this is the biblical pattern. We are brought low so that Christ can be exalted and he can help us. So are any of you down right now? Don't raise your hand because I know you're not going to. But are any of you down right now? Are you? Are you down? Do any of you feel like you've hit bottom? Has your life blown up because of something that you've done or some sort of circumstances outside of your control? Well, I want you to listen to me. Hitting bottom, hitting the bottom is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Being humbled and humiliated in front of others is not the worst thing. The worst thing, the worst thing is missing an opportunity that God is presenting to you. That you, have to be a, that you have to be a genuine, authentic person in a relationship with Jesus. And if this is you, I encourage you to take a step back. Just take a step back and take a look at the circumstances you're in. And try to figure out what God may be trying to communicate to you through your circumstances. Don't run away from what God might be doing. Don't try to run and escape. Don't try to fill your life with some sort of garbage to numb the pain. This is a golden opportunity for you to get real with God. To really find him and get in touch with what's happening in yourself. And that, that you can know that you know that you know that you know in the depths of your soul that he is there for you. That he really draws near to people who are brokenhearted. Now, I will say this. The Bible speaks of a, a different way to be humbled. Uh, and the other way forward is uh, it's voluntary, uh, voluntary. It's voluntary humility. Voluntary humility is when we choose to put ourselves in the humble position. And you know, this is the life that Jesus chose. He, he constantly chose a life of humility. He gave up his divine rights He didn't try to hold equality with God. He took on a human body. And then he came into the world as a man, a poor man, a servant, serving people. And then he hung on a cross for our salvation. And then to receive God's, but to receive God's grace, God either humbles us or we humble ourselves. So how do you actually voluntarily humble yourself? How do you do this? Instead of having to be humbled by God, how do you do it? Well, I think I'd like to give you two practical suggestions of ways that you can humble yourself. You ready? Here's the first one. Okay, the first one is this. Rather than uh, uh, do this, just tell on yourself. (laughs) Tell on yourself rather than being found out. If you're sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend... If you're outside of marriage, if you have a drinking problem or a gambling problem or an eating problem, uh, this is the time of year to have a spending problem. Uh, If you're married and you find yourself emotionally attached to someone who is not your spouse, here's what you do. You tell on yourself. You tell on yourself about your marital problems or your problems you're having with your child or your work-related problems or your school-related problems and choosing embarrassment. Choosing to face the consequences of losing faith, faith, faith is infinitely better and less painful than desperately trying to preserve your pride and ultimately having to be humbled by God. And let me ask you a personal question. When was the last time you told on yourself? When in the last few months 
did you uh, told on yourself about something that might cause you to be embarrassed or lose face? And have you said to anyone, I have an incredible problem with this uh, gossip or anger. I find myself more and more irritable. Uh, you know, I'm having a struggle with this sin or that sin. I would ask you to pray for me. Uh, and would you ask, continue to ask me if uh, like how things are going with this? And the way we get healthy, the way we change, actually, is by talking to a trusted friend, we talk to a spouse who will listen, or we talk to a Christian leader. How long has it been since you told on yourself and you humbled yourself by confessing to someone else? It's one thing to confess to God, which is really important, but what you will find is when you confess to another human being, it is so freeing. It frees you in a way uh, that is totally different. So that's one way. The second way to voluntary, voluntarily humble yourself, besides telling on yourself, is to serve. Is to serve someone, especially someone who's in deep need uh, or even in deep darkness. So you come alongside someone this Christmas season who's suffering. Uh, you know, for instance, instead of purchasing an, uh, a ton of unnecessary things for every family member, why not give gifts to children or families who have no gifts at all? I mean, that would, that would be something you could do, but you could serve your way and lowering yourself by lowering yourself. It helps. But sadly, most of us don't choose the way of voluntary humility. And so humility is pushed upon us in the involuntary way. But that's not just how God rescues. How else does God rescue? Well, he, he not only humbles us, but God shines light into dark places. Look at Isaiah 9.2. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now notice that God initiates this. People walking in darkness don't produce light on their own. They aren't responsible for creating light. Instead, totally apart from us, totally apart from anything we can do, light just appears. Light is always a gift of God. Now, what does it mean to live and walk in darkness? Well, the Bible uh, uses this darkness thing as a symbol in many different ways. One of those things is hopelessness and despair. And I, and then I think of people this Christmas who have suffered the loss of loved ones or people, uh, those are people who are sitting in darkness. I think of people who are desperately ill or they have children or a family member or someone close to them who are desperately ill. Uh, and there's even the fear around being sick, sick or uh, injury that may cause us to be seated in the dark place this Christmas. Um, but darkness in the Bible is not just a symbol of despair. It's also a spirit. Uh, it's also a symbol of spiritual ignorance. Look at with me at Ephesians four, verse 17 and 18. It says this, it says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. There are many people in Los Angeles, particularly educated people, people in universities, people who have great positions in the entertainment industry or they're working law firms or corporations. Many people who are saying this Christmas season, I can't believe in Christ because I know too much. I'm too smart. I know too much. The attitude of many people in Los Angeles is I'm too smart to believe. 
And you see there is an underlying message, especially in Los Angeles culture, that Christianity is for uneducated people, for the gullible, for the unenlightened. And it is so archaic to be a Christian. It's so medieval to consider yourself a serious Christian. And sure, it's okay to go to a Christmas Eve service now again and hand out Christmas presents and maybe have a Christmas tree in the corner, but it's absolutely primitive to be a serious Christian. And that is the popular portrayal of religion in America, even in our language. Think about our language. We see the underlying prejudices of our culture, even the way we talk about faith and unbelief. We say the atheist has honest doubts, but the believer has blind faith. Not blind doubts and honest faith. We don't say the atheist has blind doubts and then the believer has honest faith. We talk about honest doubts and blind faith. But did you know that in people's more honest moments, some of the world's greatest atheists confessed that they doubted their doubts? I think of Boris Pasternak. Uh, He's a famous atheist and he wrote uh, Dr. Zhivago. Maybe you've heard of it. He once wrote, I am an atheist who has lost his faith. And frankly, I, I don't, I don't want to like criticize him for this, but I get it. I, I understand what Boris is saying. I don't think there's anything contradictory about this. I think there's no paradox here. Atheism is a matter of faith. It rests on the belief, not on the certainty, but on the belief that there is no God. There's no proof. There's no scientific proof. There's no philosophical proof that there is no God. The the atheist's decision is a matter of faith. And even if an atheist doesn't realize that they are exercising faith in their uh, unbelief, there comes a time in people's lives when they must exercise faith in the belief that there is no God. And so sometimes when an atheist exercises faith uh, in God's irrelevance or his non-existence, it begins to erode even in their own argument because faith has its limits. And there's a man, his name is Doug Coupland, who was an atheist. He wrote a book back in the 90s, and it was called Life After God. And here's what he said in the book. He said, now here is my secret. I tell you with an open heart, wait, excuse me. I tell you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you are in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is that I need God, that I am sick, and I can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem capable to give to help me be kind as I am no, as I no longer seem capable of kindness to help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. Wow. That's pretty honest. And so if you were to talk to someone and they were to say, you know, I, I find it hard to believe in God or they're communicating, I find it hard to believe in a God who would love me or want to rescue me or wants to be with me, or I struggle because I have honest doubts. Well, you might say, well, you know, everyone struggles with doubt. Like, everyone does. The Pope struggles. Uh, Billy Graham used to struggle. I struggle. My pastor struggles. But we live by faith now and not by sight. And what we also might want to say to the doubting person is, hey, Have you ever doubted your doubts? Is there something going on in your life that has created a crack in your doubts? Maybe this is this God of the Bible that we read about. Maybe he is real. Maybe your doubts aren't as solid and firm as you thought they were. Maybe becoming a serious Christian is a real option. Have you ever doubted your doubts? So the contrast that Isaiah is drawing between darkness and light 
is so helpful uh, because it tells us that there is a fundamental difference between a non-Christian and becoming a serious Christian. And becoming a serious Christian is not just a matter of some surface change. Becoming a serious Christian is not just a matter of changing some of your behaviors. Hey, I cleaned up my speech and I don't swear as much as I used to. I've really put a stop to my addiction, to my prescription pills. I'm not getting drunk. I'm not raging on my family members this Christmas holiday season. I'm trying not to have sex uh, outside of marriage, all that. Um, you know, and so instead of doing all those bad things, what you do is you start going to church uh, and you start like praying a little bit more and you just try to do better and manage your behavior. That's not what Christianity is about. And certainly becoming a serious Christian always results in some sort of moral change. Your outward life will start to look different, but modifying your behavior is not the basis. It's not the foundation of what it means to be a serious Christian. What it means to be a serious Christian is the contrast between lightness and darkness. And it's the difference between somebody who is a serious Christian and who's not. And it's similar in this way. The difference is stumbling around in the basement in the dark and then someone who has the lights turned on for them. It's darkness and it's light. Being a serious Christian is the difference between day and night. Uh, Christianity is not about moral improvement. It's not. It is about the regeneration of. Of your spirit. It's not about becoming nicer, although many, many of you need to become nicer this Christmas season. And please do not jab the rib of the significant other that you're sitting with as I say this. Uh, but the becoming a serious Christian, darkness to light, is about regeneration. It's about becoming a new creation. And this is why Jesus used the language you must be born again. Becoming a Christian means that you have a totally different mindset in your heart and in your mind and in your soul as you conduct your work, as you interact with the people that you live with. Everything changes because you've been spiritually awakened to a new world about the way the world should be and about the way the world could be. And by God's grace, this is what will happen. So the question is this. Do you see that contrast in your own life? I used to be in darkness, but now I'm in the light. The lights came on for me in terms of my relationship with God. I'm living in a new realm right now. I'm transformed. I think differently about the way the world works. Becoming a serious Christian is radically different because it doesn't just change our little petty behaviors. Becoming a serious Christian is radically different from the rest of the world because we've experienced a spiritual awakening in our soul. So how else does God rescue? Well, he humbles us. He shines light in the dark places. And then God beats the odds. Remember what God has done. That's what verse 4 is all about. Remember what God has done. And it says in uh, verse 4, it says, For as in the day of Midian's defeat, You have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Now, in the day of Midian's defeat, this is actually a reference of the story of Gideon. And maybe only some of you have heard of the name Gideon because you stayed at a Marriott hotel. And when you went to the night dresser and you open the door right there and you see there's a Gideon Bible waiting there for you, it's been placed there by the Gideons. Well, the story of Gideon is much more than pawning off hardcover Bibles to unsuspecting tourists. The story of Gideon is a story of hope. 
It's a story where uh, you beat all odds. And if you don't know the story, it's this. Gideon had 300 men, and he faced an army of tens of thousands of Midianites, and he won. And the story of Gideon is a story of hoping God alone. And there's no human reason why Gideon should have won the battle, but he did. There's no reason sometimes in the world should in the world why things are working out the way they are. But God, be, it's because God beats all the odds. God can defeat your enemy no matter how big they are. No matter how big the enemy is, God does miracles. He does miracles of healing. He does miracles of rescue. He does miracles of restoration. And friend, if you are in a dark place right now, if life has dumped a dump truck full of lemons all over you and there's no way that you can make lemonade out of all those lemons, God has handed you a set of circumstances that is too much. If you want to regain hope, here is something super practical that you can do. Start reading and meditating on the Bible. The whole Bible breathes of the message of hope. It's full of hope. It says, remember what God has done. It has stories of hope for most people. I'm reminded of the story of Joseph. The story of Joseph is a story of hope for people who have radically dysfunctional families. It says it doesn't matter what your family was like or how screwed up they were. There's hope for you. I'm reminded of the story of Samson. The story of Samson is a story of hope because when we, we, when we've wasted our potential and when we've become a tragedy, I'm reminded of the story of the apostle Peter. The apostle Peter is a story of hope when we've blown it and we've betrayed everything and everyone we believe in. And I'm reminded of the story of Bathsheba and Tamar and Rahab, the story of Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba, all female ancestors of Jesus Christ, all prostitutes, all adulteresses, all changed and became huge heroes in the Bible. And they work with God to change the world. It doesn't matter how bad your circumstances are. You can be a rape victim. You can be utterly unchurched or you can be a million miles away from God and God's grace can triumph. God will win over your circumstances, period. How do you can clap? You can clap. You can clap. We're clap. Yeah, guys, okay, cool. Thank you. This side of the room. You guys are slacking. I'll give you an opportunity in a little bit to clap. Okay. How do I know that God wins, that God rescues? Well, I look at the story of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Jesus came back to life. He's dead. He came back to life. He's dying and his dying and coming back is the ultimate story of hope. Here, Jesus is mocked. He's stripped. He's beaten. Spikes blown through his hands and his feet. And his head, he's gasping for air, and they thrust a spear through his heart at the end to cause his heart to explode. And here Jesus is dead and buried, and after three days, he's totally alive. The story of the resurrection is a story of hope. Even after we face death, death doesn't have the last word. God does. Do you get what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? When we read the Bible, you allow the hope of scripture to fill your soul with joy. God can beat the odds. God can beat any odds. He can beat the odds at the border at Mexico, in Afghanistan, in Washington, D.C., in the American economy, in your life, or in the life of a loved one. He can do that. And it is not your faith 
that beats the odds. It is God who you place your faith in that beats the odds. Yeah. And so, uh, who is this odds beating God that we talk about at Christmas? Who came to us during Christmas? Well, we see this in Isaiah 9, 6. God sends his son. Isaiah 9, 6, uh, as we read before, I'll read it again. It says this, "For uh, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, when we hear the words, wonderful counselor referring to Christ, I don't want you to think of an infinitely large therapist. Uh, Most of us in 21st century, we try to therapeutize everything. Therapists are great. We use therapists. We have a few that actually attend Pacific City Church. Uh, But a counselor in this time was someone who, along with the prophets and the priests, would reveal God to people. And back when this was written... In this culture, counselors were sages, and they are the ones who reveal God's wisdom to people, especially the, to God's chosen king over Israel. But unlike human counselors, the counselor in Isaiah 9-6 gives wisdom that doesn't fail. Jesus actually offers real counsel to real people that is eternal. He offers it to people who live in Santa Monica, He offers it to people who live in Sherman Oaks, people who live in West Hollywood. And dare I say, he offers counsel to people that live in Orange County. And so Jesus counsel, it's always going to be fruitful. It will always be effective and it won't be without, there will be no mistakes in it. And you might be in a very difficult set of circumstances right now. You might be experiencing financial problems, or you might be experiencing a problem with infertility. We can get through anything that the world throws at us if we listen to the wisdom of the wonderful counselor. Because a word from him in the scripture, or a word that comes to our minds or our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, will help us to get through anything. The son to be born that Isaiah called wonderful counselor means that the counsel is coming from the son, from the Messiah, that this type of counsel is so good, so right, it will inspire awe. It will create surprise. It will create excitement. And dare I say, it will create a thrill of hope for all those who feel lost. And when we hear from Christ, what we hear from Christ This wisdom I'm talking about, the the wisdom we hear from Christ, what we hear, it goes beyond the smartest and wisest wisdom that your yoga instructor will give you, that your favorite social media influencer will give you, what Joanna Gaines might say. It is so smart, so clear, bigger and better than the best book we've ever read. It exceeds all human capacity. And when you hear a true word from Jesus Christ, when you read it in the scriptures or you sense his wisdom coming to you for the power of the Holy Spirit, it creates a sense of awe because it's so right. It's so clear and it's so comforting. And this answer, this counsel, this advice goes beyond so far beyond anything we might have thought of on our own. And this Christmas, there are people all over this world who are sitting in darkness. And many of us even find ourselves sitting in darkness ourselves. But God, in his infinite love and grace, wants to shine light into those dark places. 
The miracle working God of the Bible that we serve wants to, us to give, wants to give us hope for those who are in darkness. And God grants astonishing wisdom. He gives amazing revelation to any of you who might seek to have that light in your light, in your, in your place of darkness. And so this Christmas, I want you to be reminded that of all, of all that God has done and all that God's going to do, all that he is and all that he could be. God is always in the business of reminding us who he is and what he can do. And often we need to be reminded of this because it instills hope. We need to be reminded of what he can do. So who is he? Well, it's more than just these four names. I mean, we've read about four of them. There's Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's more than just these four that mentioned by the prophet Isaiah that we can draw on that give us hope. So here's who he is. I'm going to read some of these things to you. And you can feel free to get involved if you want to. All right? Here's who God is. This is the God who came to us over Christmas. Um, He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all time. He always was, always is, and always will be. He's unmoved, unchanging, undefeated, and never undone. He was bruised but brought healing. He was pierced but he's pain. He was persecuted but he brought freedom. He was dead and brings life. He was risen to bring power, and he was raised to bring peace. The world can't understand him. Armies can't defeat him. Schools can't explain him, and leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him, Nero couldn't crush him, the New Age can't replace him, and Oprah can't explain him away. (laughs) Remind yourself that he is light, he is love, he is longevity, and he is Lord. He is goodness and kindness and faithfulness, and he is God. He is holy and righteousness and powerful and pure. His ways are right, his word is eternal, he is unchanging, and his mind is on us. He is Savior, our God, our peace, our joy, our comfort, our Lord, and he rules over our lives. And you know why I serve him? I serve him because his bond is love, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, and his goal is abundant life. I will follow him because he is the wisdom of the wise. He's the power of the powerful, the ancient of days, the ruler of rulers, the leader of leaders. His goal is a relationship with me, with me. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will not mislead you, never forget you. He'll never overlook you. And he will never cancel an appointment in his appointment book. When you fall, he will lift you up. When you all fail, he will forgive you. When you are weak, he will be strong. When you are lost, he's your way. When you're afraid, he's your courage. When you stumble, he will steady you. When you're hurt, he's going to heal you. When you're broken, he will mend you. When you're blind, he will lead you. When you're hungry, he will feed you. When you face trials, he is with you. When I face persecution, he will shield me. When I face problems... He will comfort me when I face loss. He will provide for me. And when we face death, he will carry us all home. He is everything to everybody, everywhere, all the time, in every way. He is our wonderful counselor, our mighty God, our everlasting father and our prince of peace. Amen. Amen. Please stand. Please stand with me. Brothers and sisters, this is. 
the God that you belong to. And don't you forget it this Christmas.